In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament was not a popular man. So during his lifetime, the, the empire of Babylon had conquered most of Judah, most of the southern kingdom of Israel. And the Babylonians had taken the Jewish king and leaders and many of the most educated and wealthy people of Israel into captivity back to Babylon. And so by Jeremiah chapter 23, our reading this morning, the armies of Babylon were returning for a second time. This time they were coming to destroy the city of Jerusalem. They were going to lay lace to its walls, to burn its homes to the ground, and to finally destroy the temple of God. And there were prophets in the city of Jerusalem at that time that were telling people that all was well. These prophets were telling the remaining leaders in the city that it shall be well with you. No calamity shall come to you. In other words, they were telling the people, keep doing what you're doing. God isn't going to let any more harm come to you. And those prophets were actually quite popular, as you can imagine. They told people exactly what they wanted to hear. Jeremiah, on the other hand, had a different message. Jeremiah told the leaders to submit to the Babylonians and not to cause problems, and then he told them that it was necessary for them to repent. In chapter 22, Jeremiah speaks the word of the Lord to the people, saying, Act with justice and righteousness. Give back to the poor who have been oppressed. He tells them to stop living like they're part of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, stop trying to make yourself rich through taking advantage of others. And he says, be faithful to the Lord and stop living as if he doesn't see you. And for this kind of message, Jeremiah was not popular. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, we read that Jeremiah would soon be thrown into a muddy cistern where he would sink into the mud and where he would be treated as the lowest of low in society. And our reading this morning is addressed specifically to the false prophets who were telling people just what they wanted to hear. These were the men who were not really speaking God's word, but who had their own dreams and their own thoughts. And then they told those people that those dreams and those thoughts were revelation from God. And coincidentally, speaking God's word, or the, what they claimed was God's word, made them very popular and well-liked. And of course, it's not surprising that they were popular. The people who had remained in Jerusalem before the second siege had to be terrified because they knew the possibilities of what could happen. But the false prophets reassured them in their lack of faithfulness. And these false prophets said, don't worry about it. Have a good time. Nothing's going to happen to you anymore. Well, it's always the case that our souls do not need easy answers. Rather, our souls need the truth. And the true word of God is the truth that our souls need. And so in our reading, God lays out his accusations against these false prophets. He says they're manipulating the people, and they're even trying to manipulate God himself as they lie to the people. They're not telling the people what they need to hear. Rather, they're telling them what they think will make them popular. It's as if you were critically ill and the doctor tells you, oh, you're doing just fine, don't worry about it. 
right? You have no way of getting better because the doctor has misinformed you by avoiding the hard truth. In the same way, the people were misled by the prophets who did not push them to seek the healing of their souls. And in accusing the false prophets, the Lord says, am I a God nearby and not a God far off? Well, the implied answer to both of these questions is negative. God is saying he's neither nearby nor far off. And what he means is that he's not so familiar that you can just say whatever you want about him. You can't speak for God on a whim and think that it doesn't matter. You can't claim to grasp God when it suits you or when it's convenient for you. And we're all guilty of this. In this sense, we're all false prophets to ourselves. Right? And often in our society, it begins with phrases like, I don't feel like God cares about this. Or I feel like God... The thinking is rampant among somewhat spiritual people who will say, I don't really feel like God cares who I sleep with. It's not that important. God doesn't care how I earn or spend my money. That's not really important, is it? I feel like God has bigger problems than how I spend my time, and so on. And so like the false prophets, we misrepresent God for our convenience. Where we should be asking, what does God's true word say about what I do with my time, my money, my body, my life? We're always tempted to tell ourselves, God probably doesn't care about any of that. Unless we have a conviction from God's word, we have to be careful about how we represent God. Otherwise, we quickly turn into false prophets to ourselves. We're reminded that we have to be careful of how we represent God. He says to the false prophets, Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? Do I not fill heaven and earth? Our worship always begins with a prayer that's formally called the Collect for Purity, or the Prayer for Purity. All right, its words are familiar. It says, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. It's easy, of course, to gloss over that as we begin our worship, because the words are, in fact, so familiar. But if we just stop and pause and consider the words of that prayer, it ought to sober up our hearts and our minds pretty quickly. Right? There's no thought that passes through our mind that God doesn't know. There's no desire in our heart that God hasn't seen. Anything we do that we believe is a secret from others, God knows it. God knows all of our secret sins, all of our damaging thoughts, all those desires that maybe we are not even conscious of completely, they're all seen by God. And so in Jeremiah 23, this convicting word is directed straight to false prophets. God is saying to them, I know what you are really about. I know you're not being faithful to me, but to yourself. I know you're not in this for the good of my people, but you're in this for your own good. Likewise, we have to be careful how we represent God to ourselves and others. And we should always be asking, are we faithful to God's word? Or are we living as if God doesn't matter, as if God doesn't see us? Do we speak for God based on what's convenient for us or based on what's true in his word? Because there's no hiding these thoughts from him. There's no hiding our motivations, no hiding our desires. 
And so at the end of this reading from Jeremiah, God gives us a reminder of the importance of being directed by his word. And not the kind of easy, superficial thinking that drives so much of our thinking about him. When we speak about God superficially or according to our convenience, he says it's like straw. In other words, it's nutritionally void of what we need. Right? It's straw that's useful for bedding. It's useful to be thrown on the ground. But it can't sustain life in you. And we really do try to fill our lives with so much theology of straw. Stuff that has little real value in it. Stuff that tells us that we don't have to change anything about our lives. Stuff that tells us we're perfectly fine just as we are. And that God doesn't really care about how we spend our time. It's the stuff that Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. He writes of cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church. Discipline, communion without confession. Absolution without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And that's what we see in the prophet Jeremiah. False prophets everywhere peddle cheap grace. However, what God points us to is the wheat of his word. The hardy stuff. The stuff that feeds us, sustains us, strengthens us, and makes life possible in us. That's the valuable stuff that we need. And as Jeremiah reminds us, God's word isn't always just about what we want to hear. No, God's word is about the truth, and it's the truth that's good for our soul. It might be that this word makes demands of you. It might say that the way you live your life is a problem. It might say that you are on a path to destruction. And we're reminded, even here in Jeremiah, that the gospel is not, I'm okay, you're okay. The gospel is not the power of positive thinking. It's not strategies about how to live your best life now. Rather, the gospel is the good news that God forgives sinners who repent of their sins. It's the truth that Christ has taken the punishment of your sins onto himself, and that God freely forgives those who receive it as a gift. But if you don't realize that you have a real serious sin problem, then you never come to receive forgiveness from God because you don't know that you have that need. In Jeremiah's day, God was there to forgive. God was indeed merciful. But the people were convinced by false prophets that they didn't need to receive God's mercy. They thought, well, we're doing just fine. In the same way, the true preaching and understanding of God's word is meant to be a hammer, a hammer that breaks the rock of our hearts into pieces. Because the truth is, without Christ, you're not okay. Without Christ, it is not well with your soul. With Christ, however, the word of God is full of good news for you because God wants to be merciful. And with Christ, God will see your faith and he'll reckon it as righteousness because of what his son has done. But don't hear that as cheap grace because daily we all struggle against the old sinner in us. And so we repent daily and return to the Lord daily, knowing that we are still sinners. But without Christ, we become false prophets to our own souls. And so being convinced that we are sinners, we daily rely 
on what Christ has done for us. We rely on Christ alone. We don't rely on ourselves. We don't rely on our own hearts, on our own actions, but we rely on Christ and Christ alone. Amen.